You're listening to the Philip Robertson Property Podcast. And welcome everybody to the final episode of 2021 and what a heck of a year it's been. And it's always a pleasure to catch up with Terry Ryder, episode 38. Terry, g'day. You must be running hard to the finish line for Christmas. I'm sort of crawling to the finishing line really. It's been, as you say, it's been a hell of a year. It's been intense and busy and um, like no other year that I've ever experienced really. Oh, touche to that, Terry. It's been one hell of a uh, a roller coaster, that's for sure. A wave of emotions up, bad, good, all, everything. But uh, I thought today would just be an absolute great opportunity, seeing it is just on Christmas, the end of this week. Why don't we have a bit of a look at the year in review and bit of a bit of a wrap up, we'll call it. So I thought we can start out by uh, let me jump straight in, Terry, and ask you. What were the highlights for you in 2021? Uh, Well, beyond the fact that this is probably the most remarkable year in Australian real estate ever, I think, um, a number of highlights. Um, One was the the resilience shown in in markets that you perhaps would expect to suffer because they were in, I spent a lot of time in lockdown. I'm in a place like Melbourne. the most lockdown city in the world, apparently, um, and not getting the usual boost from inter- incoming migration, losing population to internal migration, still managed to produce really good growth in prices for houses and apartments. You know, amazing stuff. Um, Sydney also um, similarly um, afflicted by uh, negative uh, impacts from from COVID, yet managed to. You know, thirty percent rise in median house price. That, that sort of stuff is incredible. So th- th- those were highlights. Um, I think that we also saw emphatic evidence that um, regional markets really do work for for people. Because um, you know, we, you and I and, and others like us have been advocating buying in you know good, strong regional centres for a long time. Uh, there have been you know, people who considered continue to have doubts, but I think. 2021, if there's any lingering doubts, they, they should be dissipated by what happened in 2021 with such an extraordinary growth. And virtually every, you know, it felt like every town, um, including uh, ones that made no sense, had incredible growth in 2021. Oh, absolutely right. And it's something I do want to talk about today because it's going to lead me down a path around research. I mean, if everything's going up, you want to make sure that it's going to go up long-term, not just because everything's going up. So that's going to be uh, something I'd like to talk about a little bit later on the show today about the value and importance of uh, paying for and investing in quality research. What yeah. would you say, Terry, would be the big winners and the big losers of 2021? Uh, I think the two standout winners for me uh, are Brisbane and Adelaide, a couple of markets that I've been strongly advocating for the past few years and and really did deliver this year. And by the end of the year, you know, the most recent data from CoreLogic, for example, shows that they're the two national leaders now on price growth for the most recent month and the most recent quarter. Um, they're really starting to deliver on the potential that we saw for them. So there are a couple of the big winners. Um, there were some regional markets that, well, you know, there's some 
lots of places across Australia that are growing 30% or more, some above 40%, you know, places like Byron Bay, for example. Strange little places like Moree in the far northwest of New South Wales, up 47%. Um, so they've, they've all been spectacular winners. Um, there haven't been too many locations that have been what we would call losers. It seemed like almost everywhere had some level of growth and most places were up above 10%. I think the losers will subsequently be shown to be um, people who, who bought willy-nilly in places that made no sense, you know, that didn't really think it through and just thought, just wanted to grab something that seemed cheap. Sub- subsequently, they'll probably regret that they didn't put a little bit more thought into their actions and um, rushed out and bought just somewhere, um, places that, you know, gave them growth in the short term but in the long term probably won't. I reckon that's a great point, Terry, because I have people that sometimes get referred to me or various uh, accountants or financial planners or mortgage brokers and they say, look, I've got a client, Phil, and they're dead set uh, keen to buy in a particular regional centre. And I just look at it and, yes, it's, we'll call it cheap. Yes, it's got an outstanding rental yield. But I just, I'm with you, Terry. I look at it and I think beyond this whole FOMO, this whole wave, as you've called it before, the first national property boom in 20 years, what is going to sustain the growth in some of these regional centres beyond just that everything seems to be a big wave going forward. And I often liken it to what you and I have talked about previously is the opportunity cost. You could be buying something that you think, wow, it's so super cheap, but could you have been better off putting that money into something else, another property asset? And it it reminds me of one of the questions when you and I started working together, you'd always say, now, Phil, is this the best place in Australia right now to be buying for that client? I reckon that's such a – it's really a motto that I've lived by since uh, you and I have worked closely together. I really think that's such a good point, and you're right. Some of these people might be getting these wonderful gains and be tapping themselves on the back and patting themselves on the back rather and say, gee, how well I've done. But all of a sudden I reckon it'll start to slow down when others long-term will continue to perform well. Perhaps not at the level they are now, but they'll still continue to perform well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I think um, some people will regret their, their hasty actions. I mean, even in a, a nationwide property boom with prices rising so much everywhere, you still have to select your locations carefully because you're not investing for the next six months. You're investing for the next six years or maybe much longer than that. I mean, I always believe that the smartest way to approach property investment is to accumulate. You buy good assets and you keep them. You never sell them. Um, unless you've got some really compelling reason in the future to do so. But the, the way forward is accumulate good assets. And so you've got to think about where you're buying them, um, even in boom times, because it's, you're yeah. in it for a long haul. Oh, look, and it even goes back to a particular property, and I'm not here to pick on the Rockhampton, but as an example, there was one where I was able to potentially buy one for me. If you remember, we reviewed it together. Mm-hmm. And it was a purchase price of 200000 had about a 7.5% uh, rental return. I was getting three fifty a week at the time. And we did our due diligence on it. And if we hadn't have done the homework on it, one, it was going to be difficult for me to get insurance. In fact, the insurer wouldn't underwrite it. And it was like, okay, it is in a flood zone. 
and really there were too many warning signs. But I think you're right, too many people would go, what a great buy, I'll just buy it. And in the end, of course, we walked away from that transaction. So I absolutely agree with you. And this is where I get back to the value of treating this as a profession, Terry. And, again, I would say that's perhaps a warning sign for people moving forward, even a segue into my next question, which I'll come back to. But you've talked about wannabe investors previously on this show where people think that they're investors because they read a few articles here and there, but they're articles that probably are somewhat biased to some extent, perhaps not well-researched, got to wonder what the motivation of the writer was. And I think the fact that people aren't prepared to invest, which as in in research, quite astounds me when they're spending three, four, five hundred thousand on a property not prepared yeah. to spend a thousand or five thousand dollars on something that is potentially going to have massive impact on their ability to unlock equity in the future to raise deposits for further properties down the track. I still find that astounding that people would spend more time on a holiday investing time into a holiday than they would into doing the research on things that are going to potentially make them money for their long term retirement. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I equate it to the difference between treating it as a business or as a hobby. And if you're not prepared to treat it as a business and put in some serious time and spend some money on research and information and advice, then you're probably better off just not doing it. Yeah, if you're going to do it, do it well because, as you just pointed out, you're spending a lot of money. And if you get it wrong, it can um, you can spend the rest of your life recovering. Oh, look, I've seen that uh, with, uh, and we'll, we'll look at mining towns. And again, you know, they can be fraud. It's great if you get it right, but boy, if you don't get it right, and then you get caught and you're stuck having to hold that asset, which therefore goes back to the opportunity cost of what could your money be doing if you'd bought a better asset done your research better and invested much more, well, let's say cautiously and wisely because you've done the research. What do you see, Terry, let's say moving forward beyond this year? Do you see any particular warning signs that we need to be heeding for 2022? Well, yeah, there's a couple couple of very different ones. One is, um, and it was also, you know, Another question that you have, what are the lessons for investors? I'd I'd say you've got to tune out from media completely, I think, if you're going to be successful. It's just just switch off the static in the background from media. You know, if if we'd followed the advice of media, poorly informed by economists at the start of 2020, we'd never invested in real estate because it was all going to plummet and it was going to drop 20 25%. Um, equally at the start of this year, most of the bank economists were forecasting sort of 6 7 8% growth um, maybe. And, of course, what, what we've seen transpire is like 24 25% as an average across the country. So, you know, tuning out those people um, and because we've got them now talking about, you know, the boom is over, um, we're, we're seeing... Um, Article suggesting that, you know, prices may begin falling next year. We're, we're seeing a lot of interest rate speculation, um, which is really wide of the mark and it's really, really unhelpful stuff. Um, so I think that's, that's a serious warning sign. And the other, I think, lesson people need to take on board before they embark on 2022 is um, the importance of even more this year of being selective and where they 
Right, because I think the market in 2022 is going to be more segment, more segmented than it was in 2021. And it's going to be even more important to select your locations well, because there will be locations that are going to do really well next year, but there will be some that don't do quite so well. The, you know, there's locations in Australia that started on an upcycle long before this national boom started. You know, they, for their own local reasons, have had four or five years of growth. We're start, now starting to see signs that they're starting to sort of taper off a bit because they can only grow at that level for so, for so long. So people need to, you know, they need to be very sharp. Uh, they need to get good advice and they need to do plenty of research to make sure they're buying in the right places. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Do you do you still feel confident that this national property boom has another year or so to run on? Yeah. I think it does. I think I've got no doubt it's going to run throughout next year and in some locations beyond that. Um, I think many of the forces that have created this national property boom are still in play and some of them are going to be even more in play next year, um, like the, the impact of the big rollout of major new infrastructure developments. We're only, you know, these Some of them are like projects that extend over Know, two, three, four years. So we're only just starting to see the early impacts of them. Um, so that's yet to be fully felt. Investors only really started coming into the market, you know, in the second half of this year. Up until that point, and still really, um, most of the price growth has been driven by owner-occupied buyers. So the more investors come back in, as the lending figures show that they were towards the end of this year, uh, the more that's going to put upward pressure on prices. Um, and we've got some factors that haven't been felt yet at all, but will have a big impact. And the biggest one is the opening of borders, assuming that this continues to be the case and we learn to live with Omicron and other variants and that, you know, overseas migrants start to come back into the market, creating another wave of demand. Overseas students, when they're starting to see flights of overseas students coming into Sydney and Melbourne, that's going to have a positive impact. So there's some pretty powerful forces um, yet to be felt or fully felt that are going to impact in 2022. So I think it's it's, it's going to continue um, with the proviso that some places that have been on the growth path longer may start to fade in the coming year. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. And when you refer to some of these projects, it would be good to have a bit of a, a chat about some of them. I mean, we've often talked about the inland rail at $16.6 billion of, of infrastructure with Fed and state governments starting in parks in New South Wales where they've turned the first soil originally, connecting Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. Have you got some other big projects that uh, that you can think of off the cuff, so to speak, that uh, are significant in their expenditure which could drive jobs and, of course, impact those markets in an upward trend? Well, look, there are literally dozens and dozens of them. You know, it's, you know what, what we're in the midst of is a, a policy from state and federal governments to have a, an infrastructure-led economic recovery. They're rolling out everything they can to create jobs and economic activity. And uh, we're talking about very big projects. You know, Sydney's got, you know, a dozen of them. Um, Melbourne also. Um, Brisbane, a couple of years ago, was lagging because it didn't have infrastructure spending. But now it's got cross-river cross rail. Underway, which is five and a half billion, uh, it's got a duplication of the M1 motorway connecting Brisbane to the Gold Coast. The Coomera connector is the first stage that's effectively underway. Um, the inland rail link continues to roll on, and everywhere um, 
that they, when they get to the stage of building in a particular area, we're seeing prices. And that's why Moree took off 47% in the last uh, 12 months because they're now building that section of the inland railing and Moree is a, is a major hub along that route. Um, you know, Toowoomba, we've talked about a bit in the past, is a, a place that's impacted by a new airport and the second range crossing and the inland railing is going to be huge for Toowoomba and a whole lot more. Um, you know, we could we could talk for hours just listing all, all the big, big-time projects, but they have a massive impact because they generate all this economic activity and local businesses are getting contracts and jobs are being created and people are coming to work in those towns and cities to work on those projects and that you know, they all need somewhere to live and so that pumps up property markets. And the biggest one of all, um, and it's going to be a long-term one, is the 2032 Olympics and the impact on Brisbane. Um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's only semi-jokingly that um, the Council of Mayors for South East Queensland who meet regularly to talk about what they would like to happen and need to happen, their biggest issue was infrastructure to keep up with the population growth in South East Queensland. And they decided that the best way they're going to get the projects they need, particularly transport projects, is to have an Olympic bid. And so they brought one on. And, here, and now it succeeded. And so now the, the Sunshine Coast has to get its, its light rail link that it's been campaigning for for years. And the, um, you know, the extinction of light rail on the Gold Coast has to happen and the duplication of the M1 between the Gold Coast and Britain, that has to be delivered and a whole lot more because um, to successfully host the Olympics, you're going to need all that infrastructure. And the willing, you know, the GAB is going to be have a billion dollars spent on it. All of that um, is in the mix and um, you know, it's going to have a big, big impact and a long-term one. And it's uh, interesting to finally see that Brisbane, because we've been talking about Brisbane. I mean, I was uh, originally I was selling properties around the southeast Queensland for some ten years, and for all that time, it was like it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. It was like the Messiah. But finally, you're absolutely right. It just I've just noticed probably in the last year. Brisbane now, probably even in the last six months, Brisbane really is the talk of the town, absolutely. And mm. uh, I think uh, we, we talked about that episode previously where you uh, gave some great insights, the impact of host cities that have had in Olympic Games and, and what we're likely to see in the lead-up, not so much post-Olympics, but in the lead-up to 2032. Yes. A- absolutely. I still get excited, particularly from an affordability perspective, about Adelaide. I think Adelaide really, I mean, with Salisbury and, and uh, uh, some of the other areas around Adelaide, it just it, it just amazes me that not enough seems to be focused on Adelaide when there's so much going on and there's so much so much to like about Adelaide. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's almost more, more to like about Adelaide than anywhere else in Australia, really, apart from Brisbane maybe. Like it's it's got tremendous potential, and people have got to understand that that things change. A lot of people have really old, out of date ideas about places in their heads, and sometimes their, their notions or perceptions about a place are ten years out of date. And I was doing a, a panel webinar um, in the last couple of weeks, and we had a, a range of experts um, in a in a live webinar. And one of them, when we talked about Adelaide, said, "Oh, yeah, but Adelaide doesn't show any growth." You know, that's that attitude about Adelaide is five, six or more years out of date. Look at the figures for the last 12 months. Look, not just the, the price growth figures, but the economic figures. 
Adelaide's economy has grown more than any other city economy in Australia in the last 12 months. You know, the GDP growth in Adelaide exceeds all other cities in Australia. Its population is now starting to grow. It's been the result of proactive action by the state government to go out and grab for itself because, you know, it got sick of being overlooked and flying under the radar screen for everybody. So it decided, what can we do better than anywhere else? So they decided, okay, high-tech innovation, alternative energy, and they're the national leaders on that. They're the Silicon Valley of Australia. And, you know, all these big global enterprises, when they're setting up in Australia, they're not establishing headquarters in Sydney and Melbourne. They're, they're doing it in Adelaide, uh, many of them. And that's well, you've got they- Elon Musk over there. Sorry to interrupt you, Terry. You've got Elon Musk over there with his battery uh, uh, mm. operation. And I figure that guy's got a few good clues about doing things. So if it's good enough for Elon Musk, I reckon there's a clue for us. Well, he's only the second or third richest person on the planet, so well, you know, he's doing something right. Yeah, he set up his headquarters in Adelaide and so a lot of other big international enterprises. The Australian Space Agency is based in Adelaide. You know, it's got that reputation established now as being the, the high-tech innovation capital of the country and that's generating a lot for it. And on top of that, you've got all this incredible affordability. You know, the value for money in Adelaide is extraordinary. Um, you know, what what costs one and a half million in Sydney and Melbourne is going to be six or seven hundred thousand in Adelaide. That's great buying. And vacancies, you know, we know they're low in most parts of Australia, but I cannot find a postcode in Adelaide with a vacancy rate as high as one percent. And the rental growth is really strong. And I own property there and I've had extraordinary, you know, the experience that we keep hearing about anecdotally, you have an open house when property becomes available for rent and you get 25 people competing for it and offering more than the asking rent. I've experienced that myself as an investor in Adelaide. Um, it's a great place to own real estate, I reckon. Yeah, I remember you've told me that even the jump for when you relet your property just went up so significantly. Mm. Really great result. In fact, I've just come back, as you know, I was up in Singapore just having a, a, a quick well, I was up there for a 10-day break and uh, my buddy who I had dinner with over there, he's about to come back to Australia from Melbourne. His wife's from Adelaide and he said, Phil, we're actually moving back to Adelaide, not back to Melbourne, which is my home or his home rather. He said, because I look at Melbourne prices and they are just out of control. And, like, I'm sure he's financially independent, but he said the value for money for what I can buy in Adelaide compared to Melbourne highlights exactly what you just said. Yeah, and it's a really good city. I mean, it's got a lovely historic fabric to it. It's, it's easy to get around. It's got lovely beaches, um, and you know, it's got a 30 minutes from the centre of Adelaide here in one of the best hill change precincts in all of Australia. You've got a couple of fantastic wine districts within, you know, a Sunday drive of the centre of Adelaide, north and south. I mean, it, it, it offers a lot, you know, and it's all about affordable lifestyle at the moment. And I think that trend's going to continue. And uh, Adelaide sort of ticks a lot of boxes in that regard. Oh, look, definitely. And as you know, that's certainly going to be a place that I'll be putting more of my investment dollars in uh, 2022 into myself. Again, not that this was scripted for our show, but it makes me think about WA. I still get people asking me about Western Australia, and I know it's very closely tied to resources, What's your feeling about uh, investing in WA, say, in 2022 and beyond, knowing that it is very much a resource-driven state? Yeah, well, it is, and and, and that, that's the, the proviso. You need to um, run past people. I think 
um, Perth an opportunity because it's a recovering market and a rising market after six years of sort of where prices were gradually falling. So it's now the um, the cheapest city in capital city in Australia except for Darwin. So a pretty good value for money. And it's no doubt its economy is rising. That's controlled the pandemic pretty well by shutting the rest of Australia out. And um, I think it, it kind of, in terms of price growth, well, it, it, relative to the rest of the country, it underachieved this year. But I think it's going to do better next year. Um, you know, the sort of growth it produced in 2021, you'd normally say, well, that's a boom year. But it's just that uh, elsewhere has done even more extraordinarily high growth. But I think it's going to do better in 2022. Uh, but I've just um, finished editing one of our special reports on Perth and it just emphasised just how much of the economy is tied into the resources sector and just makes it a little bit more volatile than other capital cities and so it's a little bit more high risk. So I'd say a first-timer, don't buy your first property in Perth. Um, if you're an experienced investor and you've got a portfolio, there's no reason why you can't go there now and buy, buy well and and, and have a Perth property in your portfolio, but you just got to be mindful that it can be volatile. Yeah, definitely. Now, the Apple Isle, and again, this was not really in my thoughts about today, but I mean, I'm just, I think it's an opportunity to talk about Tassie because we really don't, I don't spend much energy around looking for investment opportunities because I think there's so many others on around the eastern seaboard. But what's your take on Tassie going forward beyond uh, this year? Look, I, I think the evidence suggests that Hobart and Tasmania generally has passed its peak and it's been a wonderful ride for those markets. Um, they've had nation-leading price growth for the last, say, four years at least, and they're still right up there in the latest figures. But when you look at the sales volumes figures, you can see that the trend is that sales activity is falling away, and I think it's purely that... Um, it's had an upcycle for so long that eventually it had to platter off. So I think we're probably going to see uh, Tasmania just sort of taper a bit next year. It's one of those places that you know, I mentioned at the beginning, some markets have been going much longer than the national boom that um, in 2022 we might see them start to sort of fade a little bit. And I think Hobart and Tasmania might be a couple of those places. Yep. What about in terms of regional? I mean, we're talking about Brisbane and the ripple effect of that. Townsville was a town that we had talked about previously, but just my research has made me a little bit concerned around the cost of high cost of insurance, uh, the cyclone issues. I know that they were spending what, something like $25 billion on infrastructure, which was greater than what was being spent, I think, about 20 bill on the Sunshine Coast, even though they've got a smaller population in Townsville. Have you have you got any thoughts on Townsville? Because it is one that's got a lot of money being spent, but there are certainly some warning signs about natural events, for example, that can uh, really uh, slow you down or put you back. Yeah, I mean, all of everything that you just said is what I would say. It's it's an opportunity because it's it's very affordable and it's got a, a very strong and diverse economy. Uh, it's the capital of northern Queensland and um, big infrastructure spend underway. But, um, you know, the insurance factor, the climate factor. I think, you know, I've been talking to a lot of um, sort of mentoring clients and strategy session people and others, um about, you know, 
creating a, a list of criteria when you're looking to buy, because a lot of people get overwhelmed. Uh, it's such a big country. Where do I buy? Well, create a list of criteria and just buy in the places that tick all the boxes. And I've been suggesting people have a climate risk box to tick as well. So you've got to be mindful what a lot of like regional centres are built on big rivers and they have a tendency to flood from time to time. And that climate risk in Townsville is you know, tropical cyclones and the impact it has on insurance premiums, which are just huge. And, um, you know, whenever I sort of, sort of weighing up between, say, like a Townsville and a Toowoomba or Bundaberg, um, the, the insurance factor, the climate risk, sort of um, I usually end up going for the alternative that doesn't have that risk. Because, yeah, I mean, it's like, is this the absolute best place I can buy at the moment? Well, actually it's not because it just it ticks six or seven boxes, but there's a couple that doesn't tick. So buying the places that tick every box because you can do that at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess a segue then, uh, actually, I might just go while we're up that way, Darwin. We don't mm-hmm. talk about Darwin on this show. No. Only because I think there's a lot of other better places to buy, has been my opinion. But what yeah. do you see as the, the forecast for Darwin? I think it's going to do very well in 2022. It's, yeah, it's been flying under the radar a bit, but it's, it's got um, plenty going for it. One of the things that stands out is having just finished the summer edition of the Price Predict Index, every single location in um, the Darwin metropolitan area is uh, is a rising market and every single location had some level of price growth in the last 12 months. You know, sales activity is really picking up. It's um, a bit like Perth. It had, you know, half a dozen years when it was prices were falling. Now it's coming back and it's really, you know, it's the cheapest capital city in the country. Um, it's really starting to rise. Some good things at last on its economic horizon. That's what's been missing for the last five or six years. So it's, it is an opportunity, um, but, again, it is in that, um, you know, that tropical zone, that, that sort of high-impact weather zone. You've got to be mindful of that. And it's, and it's actually really, it's a very small city. You know, it's, um, there's plenty of regional centres that are bigger than Darwin. It just happens to be a capital city in a remotely populated part of the country. I would, again, say what I said about Perth, that if you an experienced investor with a, a portfolio, um, there's no reason why you wouldn't consider adding a property in Darwin to your portfolio at a time when it's starting to rise. But if you're a first-timer, uh, it's a bit risky. Yeah, no, that's a pretty darn good advice, I think. As you know, our specialty at the Holy Grail is regional. And have you got any you know, any favourites, that uh, perhaps two or three, that come to mind that you think are going to continue to do well in 2022? I know we often discuss the ones that we're, we're buying for our clients, but any in particular that come to your mind that you think because of the infrastructure spend, maybe because of the Olympic Games, uh, are there any that come to your mind? Yeah, well, uh, just generally speaking, I recently did a, a major report for CanStar called the Rising Stars Report, and we ranked the well, we divide the country into fourteen market jurisdictions, capital cities, and regional. The two top ranked um, of the fourteen jurisdictions were regional New South Wales and regional Queensland. Um, we used five different criteria and gave each uh, market jurisdiction a score, and they're the ones that ranked the highest. Within the regional New South Wales, we've already seen big growth in places like the Central Coast and Byron Bay, obviously, uh, the Southern Islands. 
I kind of like um, some of the more distant. I think it's going to be a year in which the regional centres are a little bit further out from the, the capital cities are going to do best. I like Tamworth a lot. Very affordable, great rental yields, um, a lot of infrastructure spend focused on Tamworth as a transport hub and also a renewable energy hub. So I think Tamworth is going to do well. I still think the Hunter Valley is going to continue to, to rise, both for infrastructure spend reasons and exodus to affordable lifestyle reasons. And um, in Queensland, we've talked about Toowoomba. I think you know, Toowoomba's only just getting started. It's got huge potential and still very affordable. Rockhampton, we talked about, um, is I think um, great value for money, big infrastructure spend there. It's going to do well this year. Just got to be mindful of the climate risk aspect that's on a river. But you just got to check the flood maps, as you did when you were looking there, and make sure you're buying outside those areas that are likely to be impacted when there's a flood. Thunderbird? Thunderbird's had a fantastic year, but it's still, you know, it's rising from a low base. And, you know, the biggest impact, you know, there's, there's some quite big things happening in Bundaberg, but the biggest one still to come, that's the big hospital, one, mm-hmm. $1.5 billion. That's a big hospital for, a you know, a regional centre in Queensland, and that's going to have an impact. So there's, there's further growth to come, I think, in Bundaberg. Yep. And what about Albury? Because I haven't done much buying of late in Albury because I just think Albury just went, it went bang, it just skyrocketed. I mean, I had yeah. a, one of my clients, we bought him a house in September. I've told you this one before, Terry. We bought him a property for two sixty four and a half thousand, just a three-bedroom house uh, in September last year. And he recently sold it 13 months later for 359000 so incredible. But I'm just finding that Albury numbers, I talk to the local agents and they're just really crazy up there. Yeah. Uh, Albury's one of those places that, you know, it was on a growth path before the national property boom. For good reasons, it's a really great regional city and uh, it's, it's got a lot going for it. But, you know, you have to say to people, considering, well, the best time to buy there was two or three years ago, Um Go, go and find the next Albury we don't know, the place that's got those sorts of credentials but hasn't really done as much growth as Albury Wodonga has already done. So you'd be looking, if you're looking, there's plenty, you know, not far away from Albury Wodonga, Wagga Wagga's a place which has had a good year but it's got further to go and it's got great credentials. Um, Beautiful town on the Murrumbidgee. Yeah, I think it's a really good place. Mm. Uh, it's got a big well, lottery. Yeah, um, Dubbo, I think it's got great potential. I mean, Orange, Orange has already done really well, but it's got further to go. In Victoria, um, you know, the Ballarats and the Geelongs have, you know, already had several years of big growth. And so I'll be, I'll be looking at, say, Mildura and Warrnambool and Shepparton still, I think it's got potential to do more. And you, I know you've... Um, been poking around there, um, and it's had some good growth in the last 12 months, but it's probably got potential to do more because it's quite early in the cycle compared to Albury-Wodonga. Um, so those are the sorts of places that have the potential to do what Albury-Wodonga has done, but are relatively early in the cycle. Yeah, totally agree. Well, Terry, I think it's uh, on that note, it's a good way to, uh, to finish up. It's absolutely been a pleasure having you on and your insights, and I think particularly... Uh, you've been really the captain of the ship, steady as she goes, because uh, you've encouraged people to be not emotive, to invest and do it professionally in research 
and really question and what you're doing. You've been very stoic in your views around mainstream media, of which I'm a convert because we how often we've talked about clickbait journalism and often it's a classic. You go to the headline and the actual story is nothing related to what the headline's about. And I've really enjoyed learning more and more from you around uh, the failings of economists. And I don't say that lightly because I, I continually come back to the fact, why would you go to an economist to ask them about what the property markets are doing? And that's something that I've learned through uh, being able to have you uh, involved in working with us and providing incredible research to our business. And I have to say it's such a pleasure working with you and uh, I'm absolutely looking forward to continuing to work with you as we find and uncover the hidden gems out there and in regional Australia for our for our buyers as we uh, work with you into 2022 and beyond. So, yeah. Terry, a big thank you. You're welcome, Philip. Just touching on that point um, about economists, you know, we're in the middle of an Ashes cricket series at the moment and if, if anybody watches the coverage, you'll notice that everybody who's there commentating and analysing are all really experienced, notable cricket experts. People have done it. Um, they would never bring in a hockey expert to be on the commentary team, but that's what media does when it comes to re- residential property. They bring in bloody economists who aren't experts and they continually get it wrong. And I think a good a good parting, uh, a good piece of advice to end the broadcast on is um, the importance of having the team. But we haven't really talked in great detail about that, but I think the year just gone and the year ahead, now more than ever before, you need to have um, a really good team of advisors. It's a good time to have a buyer's agent on your team um, to help you cut through the the busyness of markets and the competitive of markets. Having someone who's got experience and can do that for you, it's money well spent. Do you know, I absolutely do agree. Yes, I'm a buyer's agent myself, but the, the more our business has gone on and the better relationships that we've been able to establish with people on the ground, going through houses on our behalf, telling us the good streets, the ones to avoid, and just the little insights. And, in fact, just last week was a perfect example of that for us. We bought three properties all off market. And in what I've been terming a locust plague of buyers swarming on these cities, any time you can get a property to yourself to be able to analyse it, have a bill to go through. Yes, we still do the build and best reports, Terry, as well. But to be able to go and negotiate properly without having all these other buyers, FOMO being motivating them and not being under such great pressure is just been an absolute blessing. So I agree. I think you've got – we've often used it on this show as we talk about the dream team. So great research from yourself, for example, good buyer's agent, great mortgage broker, financial planner, building pest inspectors, town planners, if you're going to subdivide, all of those people have a very, very integral role to play. And you can spend a few thousand dollars on all of that, but um, – in the current market, if you buy well in the market that's growing, it, it even just, what is it at the moment, a relatively modest 10%. The market takes care of the expense of your team inside a few months at the moment. And long term, you'll never regret having invested in um, that team of experts in the specialist fields. Um, yeah. to, not, to not do it as the worst kind of false economy 
when it comes to residential property investment. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Well, on that note, Merry Christmas to you and your family, Terry. It's the final episode of uh, the Philip Robertson Property Podcast on behalf of the Holy Grail. Thanks to all to our listeners and the people that support us and to our clients. And we're really excited to bring lots of quality information, particularly from yourself, Terry, in 2022. And again, thank you for your support of our show. Most welcome. Always a pleasure to chat with you about real estate and uh, have a great festive season. Stay safe, folks, and looking forward to catching up in 2022. Bye for now.